Oh, Jesus, take all of us. Take every last bit of us. Lord, the parts that we've held back, we lay before you. We lay before your throne. We lay before your forgiveness. We say, take all of us, Lord. Take all of us. Forgive us for the parts we hold on to. Thank you for receiving us into your courts this morning. Thank you for letting us see your face. Thank you for letting us see your glory. Thank you for making a way where there seemed to be no way. Thank you for keeping a promise when it looked like it was fading away. Thank you for being a miracle worker when I required a miracle. Thank you that you're always there even when we don't see it and we don't feel it. And sin and shame and guilt and condemnation make us feel far off, Lord. We bind up that lie. We know that you are near. So be near to us in this moment. Teach us how to lay everything at your feet. Because you're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys have a seat. Yeah. You got it? It's a... Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Is this is this pre-used? It feels a little wadded up. <laughs> it's a little wet. No, just kidding. Um, it's an interesting thing to have to come up here and speak after just getting wrecked by the Holy Spirit. God is good, amen? God is here, amen? God wants to do some things through his word this morning. He wants to um, put some things in order. He wants to align some things in our body. And, there, and there's really no better way um, to, to kind of lead up to the, to the word this morning than, than what God just did in worship. Do you feel the weight of his glory in the room? That's designed to woo you to him. It's designed to convince you 
against all your fleshly desires and fleshly concerns, that he's better, that he's better than all of it. And what he's going to ask us to do is he's going to ask us to lay everything down this morning. I think what God is going to do this morning is, is that sometimes being in church for a long time, sometimes we have to unlearn some things. Sometimes we've heard some things wrong or we might have filtered it through the flesh. And sometimes we actually need to take a step back and say, you know what? I might have learned this wrong. I need to unlearn it so that I can take a look at your word and see what it says in light of the kingdom. And I believe that's exactly what God's going to do today because God is a God of order. He is not a God of disorder. He is not a God of chaos. He is not a God of circumstance. He is not a God of happenstance. He is a God of planning and perfection and design and order. We see a God of order revealed in the scriptures even from the very beginning, right? His spirit hovered over the chaos. It hovered over the empty, formless void. And day after day and step after ordered step, he brought creation together and breathed life into it. We see a God um, who, who is a God of order and purpose. And God operates in a specific way based on his holiness and his thoughts that are above our thoughts and his ways that are above our ways. He has a certain economy with which, within which he operates. And in God's economy of order and purpose, uh, God values first things. God values first things in this world. Now, 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 a lot of our minds, because of the way we've been taught and trained in church, when I say the word first things, that kind of sounds foreign. Uh, one of the words that we probably hear a lot more often is first fruits, right? And we're going to get to that. But the reason that I'm specifically using, and I believe Holy Spirit said specifically teach this this way, is that many times we have perverted the teaching of first fruits, that we have used the teaching of first fruits uh, for our own purposes and our own gain. And God has something so much more beautiful and relational in the first things than in, than in simply the first fruits. So, so I just want to pray to begin, and, and I want us to open our minds and, and ask the Lord to keep us open-minded and open-handed with, with what we have learned in the past and say, what are you teaching me now? And what are you specifically asking of me now? Because understanding the importance that God places on the first things will help us to see what he's doing in the midst of our body, to understand that and name that, and then know how to respond to it. God's going to reveal what he's doing in this body. He's going to paint a picture for us to, to kind of give us a, a, a marker of where we are as a church this morning. So uh, let's just pray to that end, and then we'll dig into God's word. Heavenly Father God, um, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are um, an immutable rock on which we can stand and that you have given us uh, your word that outlines your desires and your heart. We thank you that you are a God of, of order, that you are a God of purpose, and that you have shown us how to operate in that world, Father. And, um, Lord, just teach us, um, teach us how to lay ourselves down for you 
holy. Holy. Not 10%, but 100%. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so what I want to do is kind of start with a little 101 of what I'm talking about when I'm using the... I feel... Sorry, this may be OCD here. I feel a little off-center here. Is that better? Okay, a little more symmetrical. Uh, let, let's do a little 101 on, on first things. What do I mean when I'm talking about the, the, the first things in a biblical context? Well, the first thing uh, is that we see in the, in the context of uh, family and generational promises, we see the term firstborn, right? It's used 117 times in God's word. This is, this is most often speaking about the firstborn in a family. We understand that. Uh, and it closely related in context, it's talking about the firstborn among a flock. Uh, another word that's used eight times in regards to that is firstlings, right? The firstlings of the sheep, the firstlings of the cattle. Um, and, and we also see in the context of the agrarian society that they were living in during biblical times, right? We see the concept of what I mentioned earlier, which is first fruits, right? This is the, uh, this is the, the, the first fruits that, that were the, the, the first to ripen from the harvest, right? The, the, the very first and the very best. And so the, the, the first thing that I want to point out is that, uh, uh, sorry, let me, let me, let me go back. Um, so he also mentions the first shearing of the sheep that is to be the Lord's. And he also mentions uh, the first doe five times. So, so this concept of firsts is, th- is throughout the Bible. And, and the first distinguishing characteristic of, of these first things in a biblical context is that they are, of course, first. They are first in time, right? The firstborn is the first to be born. Got, nod your head if you got it. Um, and then the first fruits is the first to be harvested. Pretty simple, right? I told you this was, was 101. Um, but first things are also viewed not just as first in time, but as, but as first in quality, and it's important to understand that. God is not simply looking, when we talk about first things, and, 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 and God's going to lead us through a progression, and all this is going to get wrapped up and put a nice bow on it at the end. Um, God is not looking for chronological firsts, right? That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for the absolute best from the initial yield, okay? And, and we're going to unpack that as we go uh, this morning in Numbers eighteen twelve. You got that, Bonnie? Um, in Numbers 18, 12, uh, he's outlining what, what uh, is being reserved for the priests after the sacrifice. And he says, all the best of the olive oil and all the best of the wine and of the wheat, the first fruits of these things that they give to you, I have given you. So that's what the Lord reserved for the priests. And so it's not just that the first things are, are first in time, but they're, they're, the, they're the first or the top or the best in quality. You got it? Uh, secondly, first things are set apart. They're consecrated as holy unto the Lord. Uh, another way to look at this is God claims ownership of first things. And it's important for us to remember in this that all provision is from God. All things flow from God to us. He is the source of all our blessings and he has the right to claim the best and the first from which he has given us, right? Um, Romans eleven six 6 says this, 
It is the first portion, if the first portion of the dough offered is holy, then the whole batch is holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. The Lord's saying, consecrate the first part to me. Consecrate the best part to me. And then the whole rest of the batch of dough, the whole, give me the root and the whole tree will be consecrated, will be holy. And we're going to get to this in a moment, and I'm skipping ahead, right? But like, it does not say, give me 10% and then you take 90%. That's just not here. Do you hear that? Now tuck that away for later. God's saying, consecrate the first portion and the entire product that results will also be holy. So, so, so if you're building a business, right? You, you don't start the business and you don't, you don't, you don't, do all the work through your own uh, elbow grease and blood, sweat, and toil, and, and spend all your time on it and reinvest all the dividends and reinvest all the profits so that you can grow that and get that business to a stable place that once it's on its own two feet, then you can maybe think about taking some of those proceeds and putting those towards God's kingdom. That's not how God's economy works. God is saying, devote your business to me, right? Dustin to win, entrepreneur, do it from the beginning and, and invite me in to making the rest of it holy. Don't divorce me from the process by throwing me a pittance of 10%. Give me 10%, set it aside as holy and invite me in. And I'll show you that I can make the rest of the 90% set apart. I can make the rest of the 90% holy and consecrated and useful for the kingdom. Don't you see how this is drastically different from you give 10% and you keep 90%? That mentality divorces God from the situation. It divorces God from the process. It says, okay, I've given you yours and now I'll have mine and I'll do with it as I see fit. And then we turn around and ask him to bless it anyways, right? So we, we've got to get ourselves out of this mentality. Uh, the next aspect of first things is that first things can be redeemed. Um, God made a provision so that first things, like firstborn sons, can be redeemed, right? If you have a firstborn son, you don't want to have to uh, make a blood sacrifice of that firstborn son, not until he's 13 or 14, right? Um, well, that joke fell flat. Uh, maybe, it was, maybe that was a little too harsh. Uh, uh, Brooks knows what I'm talking about. He knows, he knows what I'm talking about. Uh, you don't have to make that blood sacrifice of your son, and so you can redeem it. You can purchase it back with an appropriate uh, a sacrifice, with an appropriate offering. Let me, let me read from Exodus 13. You got the, all these, uh, Bonnie? The Lord spoke to Moses, set apart to me every firstborn male, the first offspring of every womb among the Israelites, whether human or animal, it's mine. God claims ownership. Verse 11, when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and to your fathers and gives it to you, then you must give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. Every firstling of a beast that you have, the males will be the Lord's. Every firstling of a donkey you must redeem with a lamb. And if you do not redeem it, then you must break its neck. Every firstborn of your sons you must redeem. And listen to this. 
In the future, when your son asks you, what is this? You're to tell him. With a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out from Egypt, from the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to release us, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of people to the firstborn of animals. That is why I am sacrificing to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb, but all my firstborn sons I redeem. It will be for a sign on your hand and on your frontlets, on your forehead, for with a mighty hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. The Israelites were asked to give much because they had received much. They had been taken out of a land of slavery. They had been redeemed. The, the blood of the lamb wiped over the, the doorposts on the day of Passover, right? That, that catalyzed them in to release from, from slavery, to release from bondage and into freedom. Because they've been given much, the Lord said, I am requiring the first things from you. Okay, so there's some basics on first things. 101, can we move on? Here's our 102 lesson. Uh, let's dive a little deeper. I don't want you to think that we're just talking about Mosaic law and that this is part of the Old Testament and this doesn't uh, refer to me. Um, so let's go right to Jesus. Uh, according to Jewish customs, on the eighth day, this is in Luke chapter 2, on the eighth day, uh, Jesus was circumcised. And he was given the name that the angel had given him before he was conceived. He was given the name of Jesus. And his parent, according to Jewish custom and tradition, his parents took him to the temple to be purified, to be redeemed, to be purchased back. And they were a poor family. They were not a, they were not a family of wealth and riches or stature or station. And so they gave for Jesus two pigeons. The only... The only begotten son of the father was redeemed with two pigeons. He was not a man of stature. He was not a man of pride. He was not a man of wealth. He came as a servant born in a stable Redeemed by two pigeons who took the lowly way that we could be lifted up. What a beautiful picture. So even Jesus was redeemed as a firstborn son. Now do you see why God places such important thing, uh, importance on first things? But listen to this. While Mary and Joseph redeemed their son, while Mary and Joseph redeemed Jesus... God in heaven who had sent his only begotten son, the beloved of the father, God did not redeem Jesus. God didn't buy him back to save him for himself. He gave him up as a sacrifice and as an offering for you and for me. He was the sacrificial lamb. He was the, lamb. He was the blood swiped over the doorpost that sets us free from bondage and slavery into eternal life. He is the Passover lamb. He is the perfect spotless sacrifice for our sins. God did not spare his own son. God sacrifices his firstborn, redeeming and freeing us through Jesus' death. Uh, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says this. You know that from your empty way of life inherited from your ancestors, you were ransomed. 
not by perishable things like silver or gold, but by the precious blood like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb, namely Christ. That's the price. That's the price that was paid for you. That's the level of love that was poured out for you. Revelations 5, verse 6 through 9 says this, Then I saw standing in the middle of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the middle of the elders a lamb that appeared to have been killed. And he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders threw themselves to the ground before the lamb. Each of them had a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they were singing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were killed. And at the cost of your own blood, you have purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You have appointed them as a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Amen? This is how we were purchased, by the very blood of God's own Son. Jesus was God's firstborn. He was the firstborn over all creation, God's word tells us. Jesus was the firstborn. He was the first grain. He was the first dough. He was the first shearing. He was holy. He was set apart. In, the, in him was no leaven. In him was no sin. But God did not claim ownership of his first and very best fruit. He did not sacrifice something lesser so that he could keep possession of his beloved son. He willingly allowed the blood of his son to be shed as the sacrificial lamb that would redeem us. You see, the God of the universe acts in a completely opposite way than you or I typically act. We're trying to figure out how much can we hang on to. And God said, I'm going to pour it all out for you. I'm going to give you my very best. It changes things. It changes everything. It changes the ask. It's, it's, it's not about putting it in the offering box at that point. It's, this is, this is, I'm, the Lord is asking you to lay it all down and to not pick it. Back up again. And because of Jesus, we, we church, we have now become a first fruits offering from God, listen, to the rest of creation. Now we are the first fruits. James 1.18 says this. It says, by his sovereign plan, he gave us birth through the message of truth that we would be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Out of all his creation, we who have come to know and trust in Christ Jesus as Lord have been born again. A type of firstborn that God is setting aside and making holy. He's consecrating this first fruit. Why? So that the rest of the harvest is holy. So that the rest of the harvest comes in. The next we see is the, the, the promise of resurrection to come. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, is the first fruits from among the dead. The reason we can be so generous with God is because he has been so generous with us. We have been born again to a living hope, says in 1 Peter. Uh, because in Jesus' resurrection, he is the first fruits from among the dead. Meaning that Jesus Christ was the first to be slain and to raise from the dead. I know, cry it out, sister, hallelujah. 
He is the firstborn from among the dead, meaning the entire harvest from the dead will come in and be brought to life. Just as in Jesus' resurrection, we will die once in these mortal bodies and we will be raised to life to bodies um, in, unperishable, imperishable, all perishable, whatever you want to say. We will, not, we will never be corrupted again. We will be perfect in his presence. And it is that hope that we can live in. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20 says this, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also came through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. And listen to this, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then when Christ comes, those who belong to him. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the Father, when he has brought to an end all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be eliminated is death. Colossians 1 verses 18 and 20 says this, He's the head of the body of the church, as well as the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself may become first in all things. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in the Son, and through him to reconcile all things to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Jesus is the first fruits from among the dead. Do you see why God pays so much attention to the first things and requires the first things from us. Not only have we been given eternal life, not only have we been redeemed, not only are we the, the firstborn, uh, I mean, the uh, first fruits to the rest of creation, not only uh, have, uh, is Jesus the first fruit of the resurrection that we get to share in when he comes fully and finally, but he has given us the first fruits of Holy Spirit. God's word says this, it says in Romans 8, it says this, for I consider that our present sufferings cannot even be compared to the coming glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of God who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. Do you all understand that? Creation itself that experienced the same effects of the fall that we experienced in the effects of the fall. They're, they're waiting for our adoption and our revelation as sons and daughters to be revealed at the fullness of time because creation itself knows that God is going to restore it. God is not abandoning its, his creation. He is restoring it. He is a God who restores I want, to, I want you to read 21 again. Creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. Unbelievable. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers together until now. Not only this, but we ourselves also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we await our adoption. The redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is, not, that is seen is not hope. 
Because who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it in endurance. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. We have the first and very best of the Spirit. But there is more Holy Spirit to come. Hallelujah. That when we are in the dwelling place of God and the, and the dwelling place of God is with man and we are in the new heavens and the new earth and there's no more death or dying or weeping or gnashing of teeth, we will be in the full presence of the Lord and we will, we will feel the full harvest of Holy Spirit, the full fruit of Holy Spirit. And, and, and what I felt during worship that had me totally wrecked and, and my heart totally aligned to God, it's going to just be a, 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 immeasurably more than that feeling. That's what awaits. Is that the hope that you are presenting to the lost in your neighborhood and in your work and at the grocery store, like that's, that sells, that sells. So now, now what I want to do, when I was, when I was working on this message, I had the, um, a lot of times we um, uh, will we'll take terms that, that help you understand the concept and we'll throw those out at the beginning, right? And we, we, we throw, we, we, we give you the Hebrew or the Greek or whatever, uh, it just kind of helps lay a foundation. And I had done that in my notes. And the Lord said, no, move. I want you to move that later in the notes. So I moved it later in the notes. Uh, and then as the Lord continued speaking, he goes, I need you to put that at the end. So now we're going to go back to the definition, okay? The Hebrew word for first fruits, and I don't know how to pronounce it properly, is bikarim. In Deuteronomy, I don't think this is in, in there uh, Bonnie, in Deuteronomy 26, 2, uh, God commands the Israelites to take some of the first of all of the produce of the ground and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And they're to bring him the, the bikarim, the first fruits. Now, bikarim in Hebrew is literally translated, and I want you to, to tune in here. Bikarim is literally translated the promise to come. The promise to come. You see, when, when Passover would come on the second day, they would take the barley harvest, which ripened first in Israel. And they, and they, would, they would cut an epath of, of barley. They would present it as a wave offering to the Lord. They would take that first and very best of the barley crop and they would wave it to the Lord. They would consecrate it as holy. They said, all of this abundance comes from you. But it was the first to ripen. It, 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 the, the rest of the fields were still set to ripen. And what they were doing is they were saying, Lord, the harvest is yours. Abundance comes from you. Provision comes from you. I'm going to give you the first and very best of the harvest, knowing that you will protect the rest of the field from birds and from robbers and from drought and from hail and from calamity. It's putting your, your full trust and faith in God to provide all of your needs. It's symbolic. The first fruits is symbolic of the promise to come. When you say, here is yours and the rest is mine, you have missed the point. 
when, when the church uses the concept of first fruits to, just to, give, to get you to give your 10%, if we're not careful, we, we make this unspoken contract of here's 10%, the rest is mine, I will go about my business, thank you very much. First fruits actually says it's all yours. It's all yours. I'm going to give you the first 10%. I'm going to give you the first and the best and invite you into my life. Invite you into my business. Invite you into my marriage. Invite you into my parenting. Invite you into my home because I need you to take the rest of the 90% and set it aside for you too. I want you to have the other 90%. I want it holy. I want it useful for the kingdom of God. Elsewhere in scripture, the giving of first fruits acts as a catalyst to cause this promise to come, to be fulfilled. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10 says this, Honor the Lord with your possessions, with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. And I want us to understand this this morning. The concept of first things and the concept of first fruits, listen to me, it is not transactional. It is relational. It is relational. If you treat it like a transaction, if you treat it like some impersonal exchange, so, so that my barns will be full and my vats will overflow. Again, you've missed the point. First fruits and first things is about inviting God into relationship, into the process, into the results, telling him he's the only one who can make the 90% good enough to be used for the kingdom of God. Because we're not using his gifts for ourselves. We're not using his, his gifts for our comfort and for our pleasure. We're using them for his kingdom. Anything else, we're, we're, we're missing the point. And so here's the key moment for us as Jesus-following, kingdom-advancing Christians in this room this morning. Jesus confirms this, this promise to come, this bickering for Christians in Matthew 6, 33. You got that, Bonnie? Y'all know this verse. It says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, it's just, a, it's just a paradox almost. God's asking for our first and best, and, and then really in that, he's asking for our all. But then he says, I'm going to turn it right around and give it right back to you. Not the things you think you need, but the things I know you need. Not the things you want, but the things that I know that you need. And sometimes he gives us our wants too. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that generous? Isn't that loving? The first and best of our time should be dedicated to the kingdom, to living in righteousness and shining like a beacon, ushering people into the kingdom of the beloved son. And when we make that offering, we can count on him to bring in the rest of the harvest. God wants us to set apart, consecrate the first and best of our time. Not so we can spend the rest on what we want, but so that he can make the rest holy. So that our lives result in a 100% laid down sacrifice 
before the Father. It's that sort of life that results in well done, good, and faithful servant. Those words we all long to hear. So, Fireworks Church, um, God is putting our house in order. God is putting first things first. And God is asking us to lay down a first fruits offering. He is asking us to set aside and to consecrate and to make holy the first fruits of the work that he has already done in our church so that he can make the rest of the harvest holy, so that the rest of the harvest will come in. Uh, the, the way that the Lord orchestrates things by, by having Robert get up here last week and bring all the men of our church forward to stand in unity and say, I will be a first fruits offering. Man can't plan this. Man can't make it up. Uh, through through, the, through the, the discipleship that's happening on a one-on-one basis with, with many of the men in here, through the discipleship that's happening with the men through the Joshua men groups, we have probably 60 to 70% of our men in active discipleship relationships saying, I will stand up, I will step up, I will be the head of the household that God has asked me to be in Ephesians 5. We serve a God of order, we serve a God of purpose, we serve a God of first things, we serve a God of headship. And, and right now, he is putting our body in order by putting our men in line to lead out as the head, but to lead out as a first fruits offering, to lead out as a sacrifice, laying themselves down as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, a fragrant offering. When our men step up only to lay themselves down, as living sacrifices, presenting themselves as as holy and acceptable, that's when God begins to use a church. Once Once we're aligned in that way, then you better look out. You better look out because God will take that and he will honor that and he will bring the rest of the harvest in. He's not allowing us to move forward out of our own design, uh, out of our own strategy, out of the thoughts of man. He's saying, no, in these last days, you have to go forward in order. You have to go forward as I have designed. Men, you have to be out in front and you have to be laying yourselves down for the rest of the body. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Watch what the Lord does when our men arise and lay themselves down. I want to ask the band to come back up. This isn't a, this isn't a message on giving. Like, like do, you see, do you see how when you teach the kingdom, when you just teach the Bible... You, you, you encounter this beauty and this radical love of a Savior who gave himself all. And so then all, all I have to do as a pastor is just say, okay, just respond to that love. Just respond to that gift. And, and, and then when you do, you, everything else works itself out. You're going to see God doing things in this church where you're like, yes, I will give, I will give, I will give. 
Because it's about his kingdom. It's not about this church. It will never be about this church. It will always be about his kingdom. But here's the deal. It starts not just with our men, but with everybody in this room searching their hearts in this moment and saying, what have I held on to? When have I given you my seconds? When have I get, in what areas of my life have I given you thirds and fourths? Lord, in what areas of my life, life do I put you last? You think this is a tough week for me? It's a tough week. This is what God's calling us to. What's the first and very best that God's asking you to lay down and give to him this morning? We all have an area in our life. Um, the band's going to play. We're going to take communion. I think there's no better way to, to understand the, the, the sacrifice and offering of, uh, of Jesus Christ and how we are now the first fruits because of that than to remember his death on the cross, the body broken and the blood poured out. So um, as, as they pray and, and as you guys receive the elements, I just want you to, I just want you to spend some time with the Lord. We're, we're, we're going uh, to take it together. Then we'll close with a song. I, I want us to respond and worship to the Lord after hearing in, in this message and uh, allowing him to speak into our lives through communion. Um, so I'm going to pray and then just ask you guys to file through uh, grab the elements, take them back to your seat. We're going to take the meal together as a body. Um, but as we wait on the rest of the body to receive the elements, pray. Pray. Ask the Lord, what's my first and best that you're asking for? Where have I held on? Where have I held back? Give him your all this morning. Let me pray. Tell me, Father God, we thank you for your son, the firstborn over all creation, the first fruits from among the dead. In him we have hope of salvation and resurrection and eternal life, dwelling with you forever and ever. God, you did not spare your son, but you gave him up to redeem us, to purchase us back. So, Lord, make us holy as a body. Set us apart as a body. Lord, that the, the future work that you do in and through this church is, uh, is, through, uh, is through your power and your presence and your purpose and your plan and not through our striving. Lord, we give you as a church and as individuals our first and our best and ask you to take the rest and do what only you can do. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You guys grab the elements, take them back to your seat. We'll take them together. <clears throat>